three, two, one. Oh, that was early that time. Yeah, you were early that time. It's fine. He thinks we'll so. figure it out. I'm wrong every no, no. time. You, you were slightly early, but like that was oh, that was so much better. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. Hey, oh. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, I adjust all the audio and stuff. Oh dear, yeah. it's all good. Well, adjust it because this is solid gold. This is all going in. This is all going in. I made a joke about premature ejaculation yeah, to make myself full, feel better. The, the, the 30 minutes of recording we did prior to that, this is all going oh, in. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that won't go in, but now people will be like, where is it? No, that 30 minutes you put out as like a DLC pack. We charge like 30 quid oh, for that. Oh, yeah, because mm. it's a bunch of useless guff. Exactly, <laughs> but it's, it's guff that only you could have if you pay us money. You give us extra money, right? You're going to have some shit. You're going to have 30 minutes of us asking a man for help. Asking a man at least 10 years younger than us oh, for God. help. If not 15. That was not humbling at all. These hey, old, could you help these incompetent middle-aged men do this simple task? These old, broken white men. <laughs> we just, please, sir, we just want one cup of internet. Who forgot to bring their headphones. Oh, did you not remember headphones? We got these on loan. Um, <laughs> the, we, we are at uh, Rec Philly. At Philly. In Philly. In Philly. Inside Philly. Um, because in Center City. In Center City of all things. In fact, if you go to Rec Philly, the podcast studio has a big round porthole that, that opens out into the mall. So you can, <laughs> if you're a fan of the show, you can at like... Pop by and look through the big porthole. It's like a podcast aquarium. You can come by, <laughs> tap on the glass, taunt us, agitate us. Um, just generally antagonize uh, three old white men. It feels like a very dangerous game you're both playing. The most dangerous game. See, I don't mind, I don't mind you playing this dangerous game because I am very far away. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've always lived on the edge of, of danger. That's, I, I live on a razor's edge. Um, die young, eat fat. That's my credo. Thank you very much. Um, I like to think that, that as um, a, a full-time professional wrestler and uh, a man that eats um, O'Charlie's triple cheeseburger, I am accustomed to danger. And I face it bravely. <laughs> it's so different being able to watch you say that shit. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I don't think we even really brought that up. We are in the same space. We're in the same yes. studio. Because looking at each other across looking. the table with very professional microphones hanging in front of our faces. Mm -hmm. I feel very left out by this now. I feel like we, maybe we need to set webcams up or something so I can see your beautiful oh, faces. We get you a little camera and we can peer yeah. at you and we can just poke at the at the camera glass. Oh, maybe we could get, get a little tablet, stick it on a Segway and Laura could follow us <gasps> everywhere. I would love that. It would be like, you would be like, you know, in Red Dwarf, when Holly <laughs> yes. had the little computer monitor on wheels, huh? we could give you a pair of scutters for hands. Okay, this is my new life aspiration now. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what you'd be like, right? You'd be like Ultimate Universe Mysterio, who had a fake robot man in the Ultimate Marvel Universe, but he's actually the Mysterio from the proper one who knew it was a parallel universe and did it and then he got trapped in there, in the parallel universe, in prison they wouldn't let him back I think he's back now 
What's up, Philly? <laughs> Philly boys? <laughs> this this glass is great. You can you can go up to it, bash on it. He is he's now walking over no. to the the porthole. Let me help. <laughs> Let me oh help. no, have you, you been trapped in podcast prison? You can feel like you're drowning in a submarine, and all the fish outside are people <laughs> I... instead of fish. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think I've ever podcasted from inside a submarine uh, aquarium porthole. This sounds like quite the experience. It's very Atlantis in here. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we're on the Lost City. I feel like Trident from the game Eternal Champions. Like if I were to wander out of this place, I, I think that I would see Poseidon, Lord of the Deep, just chilling. Oh, you know? just hanging around. Somewhere. Yeah. Slinging a bucket of fish about like he does. Mm -hmm. Fish! Fresh fish! It's me, Poseidon, the fresh fish. I'm a fishmonger, don't you know? See, there's one problem with you being, you both being in your aquarium now, and one big benefit I still have over both of you is I can get naked on the podcast still without getting in trouble with anyone. Who's going to get. Upset we all are naked room. in yes, here right now. Oh, oh, okay. Come, come by the porthole at Wreck Philly. Come see the naked middle-aged men. I didn't know what the aquarium's uh, nudity policy was like. <laughs> come to Wreck Philly, look through the porthole, and see Philadelphia's nudist podcast. <laughs> We're the nudist podcast in town. Try and find nuder. You can't. See, but this is the problem, is you've invited people to come see, to look through the porthole now, and if they find the porthole... They're going to be able to see your lies. They're going to be able to see whether you're naked or not. Yeah, dumb. Not. Are they lies or is this my skin? I don't I don't know. We'll find out. A lie is something that isn't true yet. So <laughs> the if people turn up and start holding up signs saying take off your clothes we want to see <laughs> we want to see your dirty undoings, right? Yeah. Then we might do it. If 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 they say like strip off your body house, because that's what clothes are. I pointed that out earlier. Yeah, we were talking earlier. There's a a, 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 a outlet store of some kind, Century yeah. 21, which is also the name of a real estate brokerage. I was very confused. And Jim has explained now to me that clothing is just a house for the body. It's, it's body housing, uh, essentially, um, except you can't make the retail value go up. You can't really refurb a shirt and have someone else look at it and think, I want to wear that. I want to wear that shirt someone's had for 20 years. Not not right now, but like with this, the direction the world is going, soon there will only be a finite number of shirts because everything will have collapsed in. And That's then yeah. the market value of your shirt's going to skyrocket. In Brexit, a fat lad like me is going to be in trouble because my shirts double as an apartment complex. So you could, you could house many families inside my underpants. <laughs> they smell a little bit of wee... But if you've got cats, it won't matter. But you do raise a very excellent point. Eventually, all of the shirts in the world will be 20 years or older. <laughs> that is true. That is true. That is true. And, and 
what are we doing? Right. What is this? Right. We're exploring the new energy we have. Yeah, this is a new thing. We were in a room together. We got to find the new, the new groove. I felt this on the on the gymquisition because I used uh, a different studio in this um, facility to record that. Didn't sound as good as we would like it to because we didn't realise that you could ask people for help. <laughs> so we did it on our own and just recorded from a microphone that's in there and we don't know where it is. We just don't know where it is. <laughs> it was picking up sound. It was picking up sound, but you couldn't see it. And it sounded better than it did at the apartment. Um, although we've we've hit upon a solution for that as well. I've got this eyeball, the Chaotica eyeball. It's a big round foam bowl and you jam a microphone up in it. And uh, it completely encapsulates the microphone and did an amazing job yeah, of getting the, the reverb. the difference was remarkable. I didn't now expect you'll, much. You'll finally be able to get like back up to speed again, yes, which is yes, good. Because things have been slow. Yeah. This is a thing I need to try out. I, I need to I need to pick one of these up. I have been sent a link now and it looks real good. Yeah. You well, the portability diff- of it is really good, too. It's not like this over... It's sizable, but it's maybe... Tw- twice the size uh, or twice the radius of a snowball like it, yeah it's it's yeah. it's about the size of a of a child's football not yeah. like a real one but like a little tiny or soccer ball for the english listeners yeah but again one of those like you know, the, the, those foam ones you kick around that really soak up the water in the rain justin's looking at me funny i say soccer for the english listeners because it upsets them like when I used to be at my at the flat with my brother and I would cheer for Germany <laughs> during World Cup. They didn't they didn't care for it. <laughs> but that flat was was harrowing, so you know, I was allowed to cheer for Germany. If... But yeah, so the, it's not that big. It still no. fits comfortably on a desktop and uh, it's really nice. I was yeah. surprised. And you can get the pop filters in different colors. I've got Ooh. a blue and a red one. And there are other colours as well. Green is one, I think. I don't know what the other ones are. They're not sponsoring us yet, though. No, no, okay. no, no, no. This could all go south, Chaotica. This could all go south. <laughs> nice nice microphone enclosure you got there. Shame if something were to happen to it. Absolutely. You know, if, oh. you, if you buttered at his bread, however, then maybe... We could we could reach a compact, maybe Chaotica. Just you know, put a little put a little butter on Daddy's sourdough. So video games, everyone. Oh, ostensibly, oh. ostensibly that's why we're here. Yes, let's. Should we talk about some of them videoed games? Yeah, yeah. Who's, who's got a videoed game they want to talk about? Ooh. Well, you you played Spec Ops. I watched you play. I did some play Spec, Spec Ops. Ops the Line. Yeah, I played Spec yeah. Ops the Line, which I haven't done since uh, the year it came out. Which Lordy mm. Lordy knows when that was now. Um, very early 2010s, I think. That was what 2012 was it? Yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. So I haven't played it since then. A lot of people asked at the time why I didn't put it on my Game of the Year awards list that year, um, and and. Playing it again reminds me why. It's that the game is incredibly clever. Incredibly clever. Narratively, uh, well-paced and directed, thematically just genius in places. But at the end of the day, it still is a 
fairly generic cover shooter mechanically and at times quite frustrating and and regurgitating now and i would i would play that above any just about any other game in its genre of its ilk because (laughs) of the reasons you mentioned first uh, all of the positive narrative and thematic elements that exist throughout it and because i am not what might call an enthusiast of the first-person shooting genre. That's because you're the bad videos game. I am. I'm the bad video games man. Uh, I will overlook all of that other stuff because it doesn't bug me as much because I don't see it all the time in all these other games. Spec Ops The Line is one of those games that um, it holds a real good place for me because it was the first time I ever got sent a game ahead of release to check out and a hell of a game for your first one to be, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. And like... I have problems with it coming back to it years later. Um, a lot of the magic of it, uh, kind of you can see through it once you know, like, well, once you recognise that certain parts of that game are mandatory and it's going to shout at you for doing the mandatory thing. You know, there's there's some things like that you have to overlook. It's it's not always as open as it claims to or, or wants you to think it is. But that's I, I think that's I, the point, though. Yeah. Like, like for me, a moment that really I I, I replayed the the white phosphorus scene sure. yeah. um, yesterday. I got um, I'm sort of in the final act now, but I got mm-hmm. there, and they give you that illusion of choice. But the point of it is, it's illusory. Yeah, you're looking at the where you've got to go, and all the soldiers occupying it. You've got this white phosphorus as an option. One of your characters is telling you to do it. One of the other characters is telling you not to. And then I think it's Lugo who tells you not to. And he, yeah. he says, literally, there's always a choice. And then yeah. your protagonist, the character you're playing as, says, no, there really isn't. And and yeah. I love that. It just shoots down the, the idea of, of, which at the time, the idea of choices were really flimsy and shallow. Um, you look at something like Bioshock where the, the positive and the negative was just so obviously tilted in one favour. I, I, I think more sort of my point is that, like, I, I agree that I think there is something really strong to that. Like, I, I've always been a proponent of the end of the Mass Effect series being really strong because sometimes there just isn't a good choice. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, like, this is a this scene in Spec Ops is a great example of that. Um... I think they do a good job of giving you this feeling that maybe there is another option. Like, you can sit trying to shoot people from the top of that building without going into the white phosphorus thing, and it seems almost doable. Right, right. right. And thematically, I love that too, Yeah. though. Like, I think that that's great, that it leaves you always questioning if you had another way to resolve this that was better than what you did. Yeah, and I think like on the on a first playthrough, I think that totally nails that. I think that that one forced situation that you then have to question, could I have avoided it, gets reinforced by all of the actually optional things afterwards. Right. So I mean, basically, you're seeing the puppet strings on the second go round, and I do. I can agree with that, having played. I it can too. Freshly. But at the same time, like I look at that and I think that's really smart design that they, you know, like I get, I get to appreciate then how they built it and how they evoked that sense in me, which I also like. To be clear, that was a an incredibly nitpicky, like, oh, if yeah. there's anything I would say about it on a second yeah. playthrough is, okay, I can see the strings a lot more, so there's a little of that magic's gone, but I would still rather play this over most shooters out there, because again, 
it's really ambitious and I think largely it gets across what it's trying to do. I think that it's all of the the moments where you do have choice leading up to the end of that game really reinforce its narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm playing it on PlayStation now because I was I've been testing it out now that I'm in a place where there's real internet. And mm. do you remember when the PlayStation 3 tried to sell the bumper buttons as aim and shoot? <laughs> yes. Fucking L1 and R1 for aiming and shooting. It's awful. And it's on Spec Ops. It, I remember it was on Killzone. Uh, just any first-person and third-person shooters on the PS3. Fucking bump. What are you doing with the fucking bumpers? Why? It was literally to be different. It's like when fucking Hideo Kojima would have the X button and the circle button uh, switched around. So you were confirming things with circle and backing out with X. Uh, to be fair, that's not specifically a Kojima thing. Those buttons are the other way around in Japan. Yeah, that's a, an Eastern gaming design convention. Yeah, that's, how dare they? Yeah, that that is him simply doing the thing that makes sense in Japan. How fuck it? It always throws me off on fucking. Always dare fucking they. throws me off on import uh, like uh, Famicom and Super Famicom games because the buttons are always oh, reversed yeah. from what I expect them to be. It sucks. Except for the L and R. They always manage to seem to get those right. Well, that's because it's left and right. Oh. <laughs> There's very little you can do with those oh. that's not put this one on the left and this one on the right. Uh, well, I'm glad we settled think. that. Why is Metal Gear Solid the only one that gets to keep the button inputs? Probably because Kojima's being a bit esoteric and not going out of his way to fix it for conventions that people over here like, but... Yes, because was a dick. The world yeah. has turned yeah. to agree with me, <laughs> which is all I wanted to say. It's place. not like it's not reasonless. At least I'll give it that. And there's, yeah, I, I get you. I get you there. Um, there is significantly less reason for Sony to have done it the way they did it. I think yeah. they were just thinking they could start something new. Yeah. Because it was already working on the triggers. It was all, X, Xbox had nailed that bit, and then Sony just looked at that and thought, yeah, if we do that, we'll be copying. At Sony, only on Sony can you do it with the bumpers. <laughs> mm. uh, I mean, that's going to lock people into the brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, like, I, I, I went back and replayed Spec Ops, like, pretty recently, and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does hold up pretty well. It's yeah, I mean it's it's really well put together and they they were very bold in the way they present that game. It mm. it reminds me of something like Nier or Nier Automata where people can very easily be put off by it just looking at it. And even playing it for quite some time before it unfolds and shows you what it really is. That's a very brave thing to do. And I'm reminded mm. of my first um, ever experience with Spec Ops, which was at E3 in maybe 2011, maybe 2010. I think maybe 2011, mm. uh, where they showed it off as a preview. Um, you know, we, we all know how E3 works. So we went to this preview demonstration. It wasn't hands-on or anything, but they were just showing us footage and explaining. And all they talked about was the sand. All they talked about was the sand and how you can use that in the game. You can shoot out windows and the sand comes through. How luxuriously animated the sand is. It was all sand. It was 20 fucking minutes of sand. And I came out of that presentation thinking that is the most boring game 
in, presented in the most boring way I've ever seen. And I didn't know what Spec Ops was until after it had come out and gotten the acclaim because I'd been so put off by the game's own official marketing. For press, no less. Yeah. The... That I I think the reason that game stuck with me so much on the original playthrough is I was in a I, I was in the situation where, as I said, that was the first time I'd ever received a game ahead of release to review. And I agree with you, all of the marketing materials we were provided for that game were just like here is a first is a first person shooter and here are the various mechanics and here are the squad techniques that you can use in fights to do shooting and to command your squad and they were all mechanically competent but in no way exciting i think that's why i got given that game to review is that that my editors didn't realize it was going to be a big deal and i'm about halfway through playing it and i'm suddenly realizing oh You've Trojan horsed like a complex uh, attempt at talking about morality and PTSD yeah. and co- quite complicated issues into like several hours deep into hey, do you want a first person shooter shooter fans? If it had come out today, there would be a few people, just a few people, just a handful of people out there who would say it was anti gamer. <laughs> you know it you know it in your heart to be true I don't normally like to do the whole well we all, we'd all know that they'd say that we'd all know but come on we'd all know we all know that that's what would happen it'd be like three or four people the, not many it's like uh, three or four people they call it anti three or four people doing it across 50 or so sock puppet accounts each <laughs> It it's <sighs> It's the kind of game that the more I think about it, the more it reminds me of, and this is going to be a a slightly odd comparison, but something like Doki Doki Literature Club, Mm -hmm. in that it really commits to presenting itself in its opening hours mechanically and narratively as one thing, and then sort of pulls this bait and switch in the middle and... it, It waits until you're invested in one kind of game to start dropping the the things that it really wants you to engage with. Justin literally talked to me about Doki Doki yesterday because we were talking ah. about Spec Ops and I don't think I ever tried Doki Doki Literature Club. No, but, I missed that one too. Um, I am very interested. Here's, here's what I'll say. Um, Doki Doki Literature Club requires a longer upfront uh, investment of time than Spec Ops mm-hmm for the foot to start dropping. But I feel like the two are very comparable in sort of the... Mm, the the way that they drop something unexpected halfway into a... a you think you, you're, you're playing one thing, oops, now we're doing this. Hmm. Huh. I, I think Doki Doki Literature Club is a, fa- is a, is a fascinating game. It, it, its biggest drawback is just... You have to stick with it for probably a little longer than most people would to see the payoff. Right, right. I'd have to see what it's available on and what would be the easiest way for me to get a go on that. Uh, I, I believe it's just free on PC. Okay, cool, cool. I will have a look at that. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear I'm not the only person who thought of who thought of that when yeah. I'm thinking about Spec Ops. There you go. Yeah, what have you been playing? Yeah, what, what the hell have you been playing? Me? Um... 
I played a new game this week in a single sitting and I really enjoyed it. Um, it's a game called Knights and Bikes that came out on PC like last year. Knights and Bikes. Yes. Okay. Uh, and I didn't get around to playing it until very recently because it just came to Switch and that's when I play things, apparently. Yeah, um, that's true in a few senses, yeah. It, it is a, uh, a, a sort of isometric uh, adventure game that's entirely playable in co-op, and that's how I played it, and I'll talk about what I guess that means I don't know about in a minute. But um, you play as this pair of young girls, probably about 10 years old, on a little island off the coast of the UK, like sort of like Isle of Isle of Wight, Isle of Man, sort of uh, energy to it, um, and you're going off having adventures around this little island because it turns out it's it's a very we've got to save the rec center kind of you, you know those kind of eighties narratives of yeah it turns out we need money to say prevent X from happening there's a rumor that there's treasure somewhere on this island we're a couple of kids let's stick some punk music on our boombox and go cycling around the island looking for clues trying to do an investigation I love the Goonies yeah it's 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 a really lovely little co-op game um you. Both of the characters play very differently. They have different attacks, different um, power-ups and things you pick up for them as you go around. One's sort of a melee fighter, one's a bit more um, range, sort of throwing their frisbee at people from a distance. Um, you get to customise your little bicycle and stick all your flags and put all various colours of paint on it and you'll cycle around. And it's It's just exploring this island full of very eccentric characters not ever really being sure for most of the narrative whether this treasure you're seeking actually exists or is the overactive imagination of this pair of kids. Mm. Um, it's it's like eight to ten hours long. It's one of those games that, like, if you set aside a day, you could sit and play through it in, you know, one or two sittings pretty easily. Um, there's there's a lot about this game that was that was that kept getting me. Uh, invested in it. I think largely it was how well they captured the excitement and energy of kids going on an adventure. Uh, it's, it's all small details like if you hold down the run button to run, every now and then your character might start making noises. Like uh, my, my character would sometimes make aeroplane noises. Not always, but occasionally when they're running, they're just because they're a kid having fun running down a hill really fast or uh, every now and then, you might start having little harmless uh, competitions with your friend that mean nothing. They are just, here's a silly thing the two of us can do because we're two kids off on our own without supervision. Um, I really liked, I really liked it mechanically. I thought it was it was a it was a fun, challenging co-op game. Uh, the narrative really justified having its two characters. Um, it, it 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 got me a couple of times. There were some some really interesting emotional beats it hit. Uh, yeah, it's a really charming little co-op game. Um, Sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. So the game is playable in single player. I've not done so. I assume that you would have to just switch control back and forth between the two characters, and I don't know how well that works. I don't. I, I want to give it a look in, in single player at some point this week and see if, if I would still recommend it that way. But if you've got another person and like a day to sit and play through a game, 
it, it's it's charming. It's well made. It's got some well thought out puzzles, and it's just it's just a really delightful little game. I just kept smiling the whole way through it. That sounds good. I I want to yeah. play this Knights and Bikes. Yeah, it's if if you watch a trailer for it, you'll get you you you'll get a sense of like the the energy they're trying to go for, mm-hmm. and they manage to keep that up through through its whole sort of one or two sittings worth of of game. Yeah. What, what, what about you both? Have you played anything new? Oh, Conrad, what have you been playing in Jesus' name? What in the name of Billy St. Christ have you been playing? Uh, I've been playing uh, Shovel Knight. Um, yeah. No, oh, for played. God's sake. I know, I know. I'm so not a video gamesman. It's, for the love uh... of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus wept and well he might. That's what my nan used started, to say about men like you. I started streaming Shovel Knight on on my stream on Twitch, and uh, I made it through the the base Shovel Knight campaign now. Um, and I'm like, I think a third or so of the way through Plague Knight. I could not get on with that one. I, with it's, Plague Knight? Yeah, I just can't get my head around that one. It took a while to get adjusted mm. to the controls because you know all of these characters have very different very, sort of yeah, control schemes, and the amount of mobility that you can can execute <laughs> with Plague Knight is remarkable, particularly as you start getting more upgrades and more bomb options and abilities. Uh, it takes a little while before you get an ability or you get access to ability that can pull your ass out of a pit. Yeah. Right. And that's the big threat with Plague Knight is that when he's in the air, he has a lot of momentum and he does not uh, – he doesn't reverse as well as Shovel Knight does in air. I think Plague Knight is a she. Mm. She? I think. I don't know. I don't know that the... Well, one of the things about Shovel Knight 2 now is that oh, all of the characters the... are gender swappable. Yeah. And... You know what? I think I just... I made my... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I made my character a she and then forgot that you could have a choice because I just decided that all of my decisions are canon. I just put them randomly, uh, which, is, which has been fun. Um, I, I love that they did that. Uh, I double-checked. Uh, male is the default for, for Plague Knight, but oh. uh, female is definitely playable. Yeah. yeah, I guess I just supplanted canon with my own. <laughs> but it's it's a really cool idea, and... I can see why they wouldn't want to attempt to go the mm. route of trying to make all of the same stages playable with all the characters again after this, because you could start to see how, like, there's some a lot of functionality in the way these stages were designed, but it's limited. There's only so far you can go. In but the, they were bespoke design for a certain style right, of play, and, it, and they and made it, the characters so different. Right, and it works fine enough for Plague Knight. There are some opportunities where it's like, I'm really just bypassing a lot of the stage here because I can move so rapidly across things. But on the whole, they did a pretty good job of reworking the stages, and I, I'm enjoying that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's mostly what I'm playing right now. What's the uh, other one? Well, there's King Knight and Spectre Knight Spectre are the Knight. other two. I played a bit of Spectre Knight. I got on with the Spectre Knight character a lot more than I did with, with Plague Knight. Yeah, and I hear that because uh, the, the, I think King Knight is next and then Spectre Knight's the last one, I think, or maybe it's the other way around. I, I believe Spectre, it's Yeah, because I haven't around, played yeah. King Knight. Yeah, uh, and I know I'm going to have like a big adjustment coming back out of Plague Knight because I've started to get the hang of it. Like Once you get the boost jump that allows you to just drift down as opposed to just flat falling... Yeah. The whole thing 
becomes a whole lot more manageable to traverse the levels. And I'm not having that much difficulty with it. I'm still making stupid errors from time to time. And a lot of it is, uh, you know, getting hit by something unexpected and falling. That's, that's a lot of it, but, um, looking forward to see how, how I get on with the other two characters and, and play through the rest of it. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. So that's what I've mostly been playing. That and Autonauts, which I'm always playing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Jim? You've been playing anything else? Oh. Oh, well, thank you so much for asking. Um, I played Darksiders Genesis. Oh, I've played that one. Yeah, I know. You you, you brought it up um, yeah. a, a little while ago because you played it early. Um, Does that have a top-down local co-op like it looks like it should? It's got split screen, a split, blah, 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 split screen co-op. Okay. That seems to yeah. be it. And then online, mm-hmm. but like very restricted. I think it's like you can't just drop in, drop out yeah. in anyone's yeah, game. It's, it's a little bit of a faff to get the online going, and the online was pretty buggy even when you got it going. Yeah, so I, I played it. I played it solo, basically. I don't like split screen. Um, and I... I I couldn't get online. It was it's a like you said, it's just a hassle. But you play it solo, you can switch between the two characters at will. Um War from the first game you can play again and Strife, who hasn't been playable until now. Um the two characters play very differently. War plays as he did in Darksiders, uh just big fuck off sword, meaty, chop stuff up. Um and Strife is doing a lot more jumping and dodging and uses two guns to do most of the fighting um most of the game is pressing circle um you hit an enemy and you there's tons of little minion weak enemies you hit one of them then instantly they're ready for a finisher so you hit the finisher button and then you just sort of stick a sword in them or a gun in their face and just pop them it's quite fun but then that damages surrounding enemies so so that they're all ready to pop it's a chain yeah so you just pop 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 and mechanically it's quite dull but there's still something weirdly almost like bubble wrap yeah yeah yeah. um so there's there's some entertainment in that but it looks like it should play like a, a hack and slash dungeon crawler RPG, and it doesn't. Like it, a Baldur's Gate yeah. style. Yeah. yeah. You pointed this out, Laura. It plays like Darksiders. Yeah, that's it. It's they took Darksiders and moved the camera up and went, "We're Diablo now." Yeah. Um. And then they did nothing else. <laughs> they yeah. just moved the camera back. Keeping environmental puzzles and platforming sections that really don't quite work from that no. perspective. And here's the thing. I, I will say it's easier to keep track of where enemies are for the most part because of that pulled back camera. But the puzzle platforming stuff is more difficult. And yeah. that's basically the trade-off is you can see where enemies are at all times and it makes it easier to sort of position yourself right to deal with them. But God, I hated trying to jump onto those weird rectangular poles that were just floating in midair. Oh, to... they're the worst. You see what I mean about the, the 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 floating poles that were a nightmare to jump between. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're in the other Darksiders games. You've yeah. got these little wooden beams and poles. But they're even worse in this. Yeah, it's sort of like simple Prince of Persia style stuff. It don't work from uh from that perspective when it looks like fucking torchlight or something. It just yeah. don't work. Um. The combat itself is quite fun. I, I would say that there's less risk of not seeing enemies as compared to Darksiders 3, which was mm. fucking awful for that. But compared to Darksiders 2 and 1, 
sometimes Genesis is just too visually busy to keep track yeah. of. Everything's pulled so far back and it's just little character models and lots of effects. Plus, also, sometimes they just don't design the levels well, so... That is true. Elements of elements of the environment will sometimes block your view of what is happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll get stuck on the scenery. Yeah, there's a big rock in the foreground. I can't see where my character is now. <laughs> yeah. They've got a little, like, blue outline to let you see now. I don't know if they had that uh, when you were playing it at the time. Uh, the blue outline, as I remember, it was for it was either for you or for the enemies, but it wasn't for both. I can't remember which way around right. it is. It, it, as of now, it's you and the enemies, if I recall correctly. Yeah, because you see these big blue silhouettes. At launch, it was only one of the two. Gotcha. And that made it like, it's like, oh, I can tell where one of us is. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah, so... It's actually all right. It's it's a decent little game, but you can tell that, like, it, at least it seems to me that the only reason the camera's pulled back is so they could do it on the cheap, so they could not have to make things as detailed and stuff like that, um, because I see no creative reason for it. Um, there's no actual artistic reason for it outside of maybe making the co-op stuff easier to do. Um, but it seems more like a budget thing because... Darksiders 2 had loot drops. Yeah. It had dungeon crawling hack and slash RPG gameplay, and it's not in this, which is confusing, or at the very least strange, that they would have something that plays more like the first Darksiders. Mm. Um, That's just because you prefer the second Darksiders. I do. Pre- I love them both, but I do yeah. prefer. I do prefer Dark Siders too. It is interesting because you make the comparison to Diablo, you know, with them raising the camera up. I think of Zelda, which is what I always thought of Darksiders as. Now, it's a little more, it's it's a little less rigid in its sort of square, screen-by-screen presentation of a game than Zelda would probably take that approach. But I see it as essentially the same thing. Yeah, uh, I, I, it, it doesn't feel like Zelda. Oh, no, I'm sure it doesn't feel like Zelda, but that's that's more the angle I would look at it from. Here's, here's where I think the, the, the reason why I it doesn't feel like that for me, which is... If they had designed this from scratch to be a top-down game where the tops of pieces of geometry informed you of all the information you needed to know, then I would probably agree with you. But what they've done here is they've very clearly made a 3D environment that could be first-person explored and then just viewed it from the top. Oh, yeah. No, I, I like I say, I think that that is I'm not disputing at all yeah. that that's what they did. But the comparison that I would draw from where they might be coming from with it yeah. feels like they might not have been thinking Diablo at all in terms of mechanics. Maybe, but the way the skills work with cooldowns and, mm. and stuff, it just it's got all of the trappings. See, it makes me think of Baldur's Gate again, though, with the cooldowns and, and all that. And that wasn't really necessarily loot type stuff. There's a lot of like money collection and buying and upgrading equipment, but it wasn't as looty an exercise. The, the thing is, I had all these thoughts while I was playing it. Like, Baldur's Gate came up, Diablo came up, Zelda came up. It just doesn't quite feel like any of them. Which, under other circumstances, might be good if the might game be. were good. If yeah. I mean, the game, is, I still think it's it's fine enough. Okay. It's, it's fine enough. It's just got a lot of flaws that have been introduced as a result of the perspective shift. I was enjoying the moment-to-moment gameplay enough that I played it through to the end and I had a good time. 
I have zero intention to play it all through again on a harder difficulty so I can see the yeah. actual ending, blah, blah, oh, blah. God. Yeah, do you want chapter 17? Do it through again oh. on ultra hard mode. It's good. It's good. No, thanks. No. Um, also, whoever decided to work on the audio for that game, someone needs to have a word with them because... A lot of the narrative takes place in an area called The Void, which is an area yeah. in the, the other games. And whoever did the uh, echo effects, <laughs> it's a nightmare. It's almost illegible. Um, me and Justin were just like, we couldn't believe what we were hearing. Uh, and we couldn't hear many words. Uh, they've layered so much that it's like, it's like someone's trying to tell narrative through the medium of Frere Jacques. It's... <laughs> It's ghastly, and they've decided to put most of the storyline pertinent dialogue in that void. Yeah, uh, it, it's a very odd way to present the uh, a remarkable amount of your story. Yeah. Also, have you gotten far enough that they keep dropping hints at? Oh, it's it's weird that they didn't send the other two of the the horsemen to help us. Oh, I yeah, wonder what yeah, they're yeah. up to right now. Hint, hint. We want to do a spin-off or a sequel. It was that, or, or I mean, is this a prequel? It's unclear. It's kind of. I think it's kind of prequely, but it, it. They kept going like, "Hey, there's two more horse people. I wonder what they're up to." Well, because of the organization of this entire franchise and the changing of hands that has gone on over the course of it and god knows i have no idea what the timeline for darksiders is it makes no sense to me and i played almost all of them to some extent now um justin just uh confirmed it is prequel um makes sense because war didn't know who volgrim was in genesis and he met him already in darksiders so it would have had to attain play strife sounds like he's drunk yeah You've got all these other characters. You've got War, who's like, like that. And then you've got Death, who's like, I'm dead. I, I enjoyed playing as Strife more than I did War. I quite like Gameplay the... wise, he's great. Yeah. Gameplay wise, it was fun to you I know, really enjoy basically him. play it as like a top down shooter. But His voice actor sounds like he's, like he's been on the Jack and Cokes. <laughs> I think it's a recognizable voice. I don't know if it's Troy Baker or, or who. But it's a voice I recognise. And it just sounds so different from the others who have those sort of gruff, edgy, British accent-y kind of ones. And then there's... Who is it? Is it? Were you looking? I thought he was looking. I'm, I'm looking I'm at having, it. Right. I'm looking at But it's, it's an American voice actor. He sounds so different from the others. And they've tried to make him cool. He's, he's so cool and, and roguish and cocky. And half of his speech is slurred. Um, but it's It's strange. Um, but it is—it's fine enough. Which one? Which one are we wondering about? Sorry, was it War or Strife? You're wondering about Strife. Strife. Uh, Strife is someone called Chris Jai Chris Alex, Al- who huh. I don't recognise them from other stuff. No, I must have. The, the voice sounded so familiar. Clearly not Troy Baker. Yeah. I, I don't know who I, I... I I agree with you. They sounded really familiar. Yeah, but very different from any of the other Horseman characters. Yeah. I was just going to jump in real quick. Uh, he's known for Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Kingdom Hearts 3, Resident Evil 2, Ace Combat 7. He's one who's in a lot of roles. Well, there you go. So you've almost certainly heard him before somewhere. Yeah. and yeah. Maybe he's just a, a voice from behind something that I remembered. <laughs> yeah. And that's it, though, really, for your Genesis. It's, it's all right. Other it's... than that, just more Isaac. Oh, hey, Genesis. That might have clued us in. 
to whether oh, or not it whether was because that means the right? first bit of it, and it's all biblical. It's in all the, Bible. The whole right and and Genesis. That's the first book of the Bible. That is true. I believe it also technically means beginning. Yeah. See, oh. I I I played through it. I should know when it's set in the timeline, but also that game's plot is entirely forgettable. The whole plot is just oh, Lucifer's up to something. Oh, is he gonna do? Oh, is he gonna be a bad boy? Is he gonna do something bad? Oh, why does he want the other devils? Is he being a bad boy? I mean, it's, Lucifer's always seemed like a straight up guy, right? So I, I don't know why this game's about him. He's, he's doing something suspicious. That's so unlike Lucifer. Ah, he's always been on the lev. He's always been, he's always been a top notch, first rate character, stand up dude. Always comes through with his end of a bargain. He's an asset on Pub Quiz Night. <laughs> he knows a lot. Very well read. Very I tell you what, well read. Any engineering questions come up, weirdly, he's like a savant. It's amazing. Um, so that's the devil. Anyway, that's that's Lucifer, our, <laughs> our friend. Who Still owes me 40 bucks he, for drinks. I mean, he's a, he's a welcher. <laughs> He's a Welsher and, and, a, and a severe borrower. But who always comes through on his bargains. Oh, eventually. Eventually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It yeah. Takes, takes him a little while. He's a very busy man. He's got a lot of documents. A lot of fingers and a lot of pies. A lot of fingers and a lot of pies. <laughs> oh, uh, God. We went to a thing. We did. This week. We, we did. We went thing. to a thing. We went to a local video game themed burlesque show. Yes. Oh. And it was a locally produced video game themed burlesque show. Yeah. That's not a criticism. You Those are hear all positive. Video game burlesque, you think I'm gonna see someone dressed up as sexy Mario. What you do not expect is someone coming and dressed up as sexy Luigi. And specifically <laughs> Luigi's Mansion sexy Luigi. Oh. An entire Luigi's Mansion themed burlesque production including um the guy lip syncing to luigi's voice the lights all going down he's got a torch and he's just and a vacuum cleaner Mm -hmm. and he's just wandering around going mario mario that makes sense to me the uh the vacuum cleaner hose seems like a great prop for burlesque oh he was sucking it on people it was great yeah that was good Uh, he got his he got his ass out mm-hmm Yep. It was very good. It was very cheeky. It was very cheeky. It was a very cheeky Very arc. cheeky lad. <laughs> um, but the, I think the real surprise, we'll, we'll probably go through most of them, yeah. but the real surprise was, I think, was the next one. Was, yeah, yeah. I mean, what a hell of a thing to go. That You do Luigi's Mansion and then you follow it up with Untitled Goose Game. That right. is well, I mean, quite you've something. set the toad there yeah. for what you're going to experience the rest of that night. Oh, um, I sorry, you've just sparked my brain. I was at an event recently and I saw an uh, an untitled goose themed burlesque. Oh wow, what? it's spreading like wildfire. Yeah, yeah. Someone initially came in looking like a fake, pre- like a pregnant goose, and then they took the the pregnancy belly out and it was a balloon, and they popped it, and confetti came out, and they did they did a sexy goose burlesque. That was the thing I saw. Oh, you just saw a goose burlesque. I I I mean, well, di- maybe they didn't title it. 
So it was an untitled Goose Ballet. Right, there yeah. was more than one person who held up so- uh, untitled Goose Game related signs while it was happening. Oh, okay. It was okay. I, I I assumed there was a some kind of connection, but also I think they were trying to be Mother Goose as well. Gotcha. I I don't understand. I saw a sexy Goose Burlesque. This one had the music from the game, oh. and someone dressed up as the goose, um, feathers, orange nose, um, torturing a rather lovely woman trying to have a picnic, grabbing her hat with her hat with her mouth and running off with it. Miming the hogs. This is definitely better untitled goose tied in. <laughs> then She then puts up a, a sign with the goose, the, the no goose sign. Um, and then which... it busts into, yeah, it's a no goose sign, and then it busts into Judas Priest breaking the law. Oh my God. And it points in the song they've edited in the honk from the goose. <laughs> And she starts, you know, doing the burlesque, taking off all of the finery to Judas Priest breaking the law as the untitled goose, as the horrible goose. Ending with uh, grabbing the side in her mouth and running around the stage with it. It was delightful. It was terrific. That sounds wonderful. The whole event was hosted by Flirt Vonnegut. I Mm. think that was the name. Yeah, Flirt Vonnegut. Uh, Dressed up as Chun-Li. Um clearly loved video games, was making some deep cut references. Oh, yeah. He knew his shit. Yeah. What else did they have? Uh, well, they had a they had a Lara Croft. They had a Lara Croft. Who was very fun, very yes. flirty. Uh, there was a man in the front row, an, an older man. I, and whenever I see an older man like that with, like, the camera, phone, like, on the handheld, you know, trying to shoot the whole thing, I can't help but think, like, are they related to? Are they someone's dad <laughs> that's here filming this show? Right? Is that what's going on? Because he seemed out of place re- without being the guy filming on the semi-professional, uh, you know, amateurish equipment. Yep, that's my son up there, <laughs> sexy Luigi. Right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the, but. Uh, but Lara Croft snatched that camera. Oh yeah, took that camera and and did a full uh, full frontal face dance throughout the whole crowd with, and it was phenomenal. Wonderful. She was fabulous. Wonderful. There was a dead or alive one. The Christie. Yeah, there was a Christie. That was the second one. Yeah. 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 yeah it was. It was uh, sexy Luigi Christie because they wanted to establish you know, something that get was, something a little bit better. Yeah, a little and a little more firmly in the we're trying to titillate category before getting into that untitled goose. Which, yeah. Mm, still great. Terrific. Um, um, we had. The Gold Chocobo. Oh, the Gold Chocobo was... Which was your favorite. Phenomenal. Um, her name was uh, Noir. Renaissance Noir was the performance. Oh, what name. was the name of... The of name the... of the Gentile Goose. She had the best performer name I've ever heard. It was AmericaOnline at AOL.com. Look, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Oh, that's her performance. Name. I think that's the best performing name I've ever heard in my life anyway. It's so... Wow. I, I, I mean, I'd like to think that it. W- I'd, I'd hope it would work as an email address, but I'm sure it does not. But or maybe, maybe her email address is America Online at AOL.com at AOL.com. That would be great. That would be very That's an extra good. level. Uh, but Renaissance Noir as the Gold Chocobo, uh, what a dancer! Oh, amazing! Incredibly talented. Um, so that that was very very good. There was of course a, a link. Who was quite charming and fun. I, I, I think the link performance was my favorite. Yeah, one. and that she she did that. Wonderful. Well, uh, Jim Steinman's holding out for a hero was yeah. you know. And as I've said and before, of course, you put instead Steinman of the ah in the song, it's Link's voice yeah. edited in, with the characters lip syncing. Great stuff. 
the Dr. Robotnik oh, was fun. Yes. They had a fella out and he had so many layers of clothing. It starts with this, with Jim Carrey's Dr. Robotnik with the coat and the, the black moustache and everything. Eventually, as he strips down, things get redder and more retro and he ends up with the big fake nose, the big orange moustache, the goggles. He takes... He, he removes the curtains in the bar at one point to show two um, life-size Sonic sneakers, which he brings out. Oh. And later when questioned whether he was whether he'd, uh, he had Sonic's dismembered feet, he, <laughs> the robotic guy grabs the microphone and says, I was smelling his feet. <laughs> <laughs> so he was great. Oh. He was, um, yeah, eventually got down to his nuddies, of course, yeah. and kept the... the did his best to keep the glasses and the nose on. God bless him. Well, he he was tasseled at the end. Oh there. yes, yeah. yes, he was he was tasseled. Um, shook that around. You could tell he was, the timing was off sadly because when he when he was right down to the bulge, and he could flick it up and down, he missed the sonic boing sound. Mm. Unfortunately, so it was boing, and then up goes the knob. <laughs> Um, but but still delightful, hilarious performance. Very yeah. very funny that guy. Yeah. Um, and we had uh, was that it? Um, let me see. Was there any? I'm trying to think. That might have been. I it. think that the the outfit's called Blackheart Burlesque. Is it? N- no, Black- I think it's Dark Side. I'm looking it up right Dark now. Side. I still have the flyer on my phone. Well. Um, uh, with 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 ending on on Robotnik there, that is a that is a, a potential segue. T- well, it, it ended on it ended on Link. Robotnik uh, uh, came in before, uh, yes. it, and, and she was definitely a finisher well, for I, sure. I think Lara's Lara's heading into a segue onto the old. Uh... I I saw it. I saw a segue. I was like Robotnik. That's a thing. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna force it in there anyway. Um, yeah, it was Dark Side Burlesque, Eight Bits, a video game burlesque tribute. They do a show every month here in Philadelphia at this local uh bar next month they're doing dr seuss which yeah no it just it just had the reaction i did and uh, they're, they're was... calling the show if i recall correctly green eggs and gams green eggs and gams <laughs> <laughs> oh that's, so that's perfect we saw a robotnik themed stripper you saw a robotnik themed jim carrey yeah i saw that 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 sonic the hedgehog what is what is live action and and there is a cgi hedgehog what do you reckon on it very far from the worst video game adaptation i've seen okay it's definitely more on the detective pikachu end of the scale than it's better than house of the dead 2 it's it, it's certainly no house of the dead 2 it's it's definitely more detective pikachu end of that that okay uh, that's not a bad end. I can respect it. that. Yeah. His, his, I'll say the main thing that I liked about this film. Um, I think they did a decent job of finding a way to make Sonic a character that I cared about, that I found interesting. That's a nice change of pace. Um, yeah, yeah. So basically, like, long story short, the the summary of how they characterize Sonic here is. He's basically just been on the run forever, hopping from planet to planet, being chased, and as such, he's he's still got that sort of like confidence that a lot of the voiced Sonic um, char- uh, uh, characterizations tend to have, but it's very much rooted in he's clearly a character who's incredibly lonely, desperate to connect with people, and puts on an overly confident face to try and hide the fact that you know. They're an alien. That he's scared and alone. Yeah, they're they're scared and alone, and the world moves at a very different pace to them. Is he 
Is he skipping planets like every five minutes because he can't stay there? Because if he's there too long, the Cylons catch up. I, I mean, because I think that would be great. I mean, not explicitly, but basically. It's... Is he hopping planets like landing on them for five or six years, long enough to find someone to marry, settle down, start a family, pop out a few kids, and then abandon them to go some other planet? It's he's basically hopping to planets and then very it, it, like. Just... Is he hopping through time into the bodies of people who are alive during his birth? And he's helped <laughs> out by a, a hologrammatic fox that can so, sell him things. So the the whole deal is basically he's being chased because his his quills are full of lots of energy and he's being he keeps being chased for that and gotcha gotcha so is he is he uh jumping through portals uh atlantic on worlds where he has a limited amount of time that he has to remain on them before uh, the portal opens up again and he has to jump through to a new world so (laughs) can i Um, can i ask one more question before we carry on is this based on the sonic the hedgehog video game franchise um, loosely. Okay, because cause I've seen some similarities between the two. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the whole deal is basically it's it's a it's a his characterization's a little bit um like some of the say Barry Allen Flash stuff mm-hmm. where he's definitely like his experience of time is a lot faster than everyone else's. He's not really able to connect with other people because of the nature of his being a very fast alien that probably, you know, shouldn't be open about that. And he's just a sad, lonely, you know, looking through the windows, trying to be like, I just want to fit in with everyone and, and have friends. Aww. And it's it's kind of just a sweet film about this character. Uh, how do I put this? Well, he shows up in Egypt and hooks up with a... Uh... Like some sort of intergovernmental global outfit that's tried to <laughs> repel the invasion of uh, forces through a, a portal, right? So, some sort of gate. Yeah. So yeah. L- largely the film doesn't try and have any kind of big, oh, it turns out aliens are showing up and Sonic's the only one who can save the world yeah. or any kind of plot like that. It's really Sonic could probably have done the plot of this by himself he didn't need to team up with anyone but it's a movie so you need a, a, a live action star right. for him to stand next well, to there's, there's that but they do a decent job of justifying the character up front to go look Sonic is looking for any excuse to make a friend and have someone help him on this adventure that's actually quite kind of sweet yeah it's, he like you there is a point in this film where he runs like from the from the central US to the coast and back in like two seconds, he could go to the place and get the MacGuffin real easy. But he makes up some nonsense about oh, I don't know the way there. I can't find the way. That's actually kind of great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As as a justification, because he kind of just wants to go on a road trip with this human that he's <laughs> been watching through the windows from the outside for ages, being like, I kind of just want to be your friend. Please help me go on a road trip and ha- like knock stuff off my bucket I list. I like and that. Yeah, I'm feel like I've had. He just wants to feel like he's had a nice time on Earth before he has to flee oh, forever to the mushroom Laura, planet where he's going to be alone forever. Laura, don't give me hope. You know it's my kryptonite. You know that a matter of yards across the mall from where we are is the movie theatre. It's a theatre, yeah. Do you want me to like lay the, the negatives down? Because I've been too positive oh, sure. for now. So, first of all... um. This film drops product placement real egregiously I had heard in that. places. Um, 
Olive Garden in particular. There is like <laughs> I heard the Olive Garden Sonic is the strong Hedgehog with in association one. with fucking Olive Garden. Uh yeah, no, like I I don't think this is a major spoiler to say that um the conclusion of the movie is that Sonic and and his family get gifted a, an Olive Garden gift card for $50. <laughs> That is how the that is like a plot point at the end of the film. Is his gotta a, go fast a, to Olive Garden. <laughs> get yourself some breadsticks. Um, yeah, asshole. What? Yeah. Oh, hang on. I gotta. I'm spiking the microphone. Hold on. Hang on. I'll get this one chair behind me so I can use it to stabilize myself while I lean back. Hang on. No, you're gotta get to. Oh no. Gotta <laughs> get to Olive Garden. Gotta. <laughs> He's collapsing. <laughs> the fastest thing alive. I, I, I think we may we may lose Jim here. Oh, this was too oh. acrobatic. Jimmy talks. So I, I wanted to jump in Tails. and acknowledge the dumbest thing ever. Yeah. That they do not have a promotion with Sonic Drive-In. I know, One right? One of the few fast food places that actually sells chili dogs and matches the color scheme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, it, this isn't the end of the the, the, the kind of nonsense shoehorned in stuff. Like, yeah. there's there's like three points in the film where where Sonic celebrates by doing that dance, the floss. He, he does some flossing because that's the dance that the kids do. And like, it's not even a problem that he put this dance in that the kids do. It's more that like, the rest of this film is pretty good at justifying why Sonic's pop culture references come up. Like, he he keeps quoting the movie Speed because he's watching it through the window trying to bond with the human. And he he keeps quoting The Flash because he's got a bunch of Flash comics in his, you know, it, it's a character that he aspires to. Huh. The flossing's just out of nowhere. There's no justification for it. Like, it's not like he... There's a scene where he's watching baseball under some bleachers. I'm like, if one of the kids had celebrated by flossing and Sonic had then mimicked it, I'd have been like, okay, that's... Why didn't that's, they get Fortnite in the game? That's that Sonic, you know, he's trying to fit in. Oh, I know why they didn't get Fortnite in the game. Silly me. Uh, <laughs> um... But yeah, like it's it's not a half bad film. Um, Jim Carrey does a good job of like ramping up his performance. He doesn't start at eleven and work up from there. He that's good because he can go to twenty five. Yeah, and... he, he he builds up to his like eccentric Jim Carrey endpoint, but he builds there gradually, which I think is to this film's credit. Um, I like honestly the best thing I can say about this film is. I would watch a sequel. Wow. Like, I would unironically go watch a sequel to this. It was a fun... Wow, It was a fun road trip movie about a shy alien that wanted to... wanted a justification to make friends before he had to go live alone forever. It was kind of sweet. It does sound really nice. It does sound nice. All right, well, we we booked way more time than we needed for the studio, but we fucked about so much that we don't have much of that time left. Um, so we will end it there. I was I was going to bring up just quickly when you mentioned Barry Allen and that whole loneliness thing. There is a wonderful song uh, by Jim's Big Ego mm. who do the the stress song that we use on the channel, uh, and it's a song called The Ballad of Barry Allen. It's a fucking good song, right? It's a wonderful, beautiful song about, you know, how what it must be like for someone who processes that fast um, and how lonely that is. It's a, it's a beautiful song. It definitely doesn't go to quite those same extents, but there's definitely like, there's definitely yeah. hints of that in how they try and characterize Sonic, which is, I think, a good move. 
someone looked through the porthole window at me <gasps> and I just kind of stared at her like a deer in the headlights. Hello! I was like, should I wave or should I just keep staring? Oh, she's walked off a little bit perturbed. But yes, our time is um, drawing to a close. Uh, we won't... Next time I will have booked more than enough time now that we know what we're doing. But uh, until then, I mean, we will uh, we'll, 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 we'll start initiating proceedings to clear off. So, Laura, if there is anything... Uh, that people might be interested in looking like what you've done on the internet, where on earth could they get all of those things? Uh, yeah, this this is self-promo time. Um, I'm going to break from the usual spiel a little bit and just go, uh, hey, if, if you enjoy my work and the things I do, please consider dropping me a dollar or more a month on Patreon if, if, if you are able. I get that not everyone can, and there is zero pressure. Regardless, nothing will ever be locked behind it, but... I've, I've, my Patreon's been a bit stagnant for a while, and I just just put put openly, I could do with some more support on there to be able to keep doing this. So I would really appreciate anyone who has been thinking about supporting me on Patreon and is able to do so. May maybe doing so at Patreon.com/LauraKBuzz. It is really the only reason I get to do this for a full time job, and it means the world to me. Um. Other than that, I am making a big push to try and get partnered on Twitch because I have a big ambitious project I want to do this summer and I have to hit Twitch partner to make it happen. So, uh, from going ahead from here, um, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays at 10pm UK, 5pm Eastern, 2pm uh, Pacific, I will be streaming on twitch.tv forward slash Laura K Buzz. Uh, I will be streaming for sort of two to three hours at a time. Uh, I'll be doing some playthroughs. I'll be doing some just picking up little indie games and playing them for a, for a few hours to give them a quick look. Um, please consider checking out my streams there because it would really, really open up some some doors for a cool project if I can get some more support and some more eyeballs over on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Other than that, the usual spiel, Laura K. Buzz everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon, LauraKBuzz.com. I've got the books, Uncomfortable Labels, and Things I Learned from Mario's Butt. I've seen the like the first 16 pages of the na- that now, and I'm real happy with how it's looking. Um, Pixel Squirt, it's a video game porn review podcast. Queer and Pleasant Strangers, it's where I do silly voices and skits and talk about things that aren't video games. And Dice Funk, which is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast that I'm on seasons three, four, five, six, and soon season seven with Conrad. I am. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, you can find uh, uh, me on Dice Funk. I'm in seasons five, six, and soon to be season seven. You can follow me on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman. You can come hang out with me as I play my video games on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman. Uh, you can buy buttons that I make. I really need to make one more and get another set out, like, soon. Just uh, make it a bumhole. Just a big old bumhole? Just a big old, a full butthole. And I'll just put lick it. There yeah. we go. There, it's done. easy. Yeah. Badges are easy. <laughs> Uh, you get those at pitfultruth.com. You can pick up my audiobooks at conradreads.com. Uh, you can hear me on some other podcasts, too, like uh, Of Horse, a BoJack Horseman fan cast, where we talk about the BoJack Horseman show on the Netflix. I still have to watch that last season. Uh, you can hear me on Boston's Favorite Son, which is a very good show that we make on a regular schedule. 
And <laughs> he hasn't gotten back to me after he sent me the last thing. And I, I replied with, we might as well at this point. Yeah. Where he said, let's... Let's wait till March. Let's let's do a three-hour one and then go on a long hiatus again. I think I'm free in March. Yeah. So, so that's go. where we're at with going. that. You got the spinoff Doctors uh, with Jim and I talking about video game-based stuff. We got a Detective Pikachu we're supposed to record this week and get out. So that'll be fun. Yeah. And uh, I think that's it, except uh, Jim has a Patreon. I do. I got a Patreon, patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Um, support, of course, is always appreciated. allows me to pay people. Um, it allows me the budget to do things like, you know, get this studio space, which is... And pay, uh, works out very well, I think. And maybe pay to learn how to use all of this. Maybe pay to learn how to use everything, <laughs> yes. Um, although I can also commission... Um, anyone else who uses this studio, that part of it is facilitating connections. So if we need audio engineers or people who know cameras or basically anything that I don't, it can be done. So hopefully we'll get some nice ups in production quality, at least for the main show and the podcasts. Um, I liked doing it in this studio. This was fun. Mm, this I was think. fun, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, Patreon, uh, Twitch, which I'm going to try my best. I might do it tonight, although... By the time you listen to this, it would be at least yesterday. I'm going to try and do it this week. I've, oh, now that yeah. I've got some audio set up, I'm a lot more... I'm getting back into the swing. Yeah. So you can watch me on Twitch if you want. Um, I'm also sometimes swinging by Conrad's Twitch. Um, we we did that the other day. That was quite fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I think that's about it. Well, well. Um, if you are in Pittsburgh or near Pittsburgh, near the Lamont Furnace area in particular, um, I'm pretty much a regular fixture at Rise Wrestling now as their executive commander, as the guy in charge of things. Um it was a very good show last Saturday. Um, I think I briefly mentioned it on the last podquisition. Uh, we will be there again, hopefully. I think they're just trying to get some logistics down, but March 7th uh, will be the next edition of Rise, uh, where there will be a Loser Leaves Rise match between Lewis the Nerd and Drake Braddock, who have gotten in my way. So I put them in a match where they got to fight each other and then one of them can fuck off. That's going to be great. And keep an eye out uh, for stuff in Philadelphia. In fact, if um, if I'm confirmed to be able to talk about it before this goes out, I might record a little bit to throw on the beginning just to let you know more about it. But otherwise, just keep an eye in out. In which case, you'll have already heard it. You will have already heard it, so yeah. this would be meaningless to you. But either way, just keep an eye out in Philadelphia as far as seeing um, Sterling perform and maybe do some meeting and stuff. So that that's about it. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. As always, it's been our pleasure, and we will see you next week. Uh, goodbye. Bye. Bye.